Man, there's so much I want to say today. I, um, the Lord, so I had planned on going into a study of the book of Esther, but as many of you know, uh, when we have a plan, the Lord usually likes to hijack it. And so, I mean, really what it is is me hijacking the Lord's plan and then him taking it back. So uh, today we're going to make a different turn than I was expecting, but last night I was up until about midnight writing this, so it's really fresh. Um, but I had a lot on my spirit, and I want to share this attempt to get this all out to you guys today. So uh, we're going to be in Romans 1 in just a minute, and we're just going to be in the first six verses. But I'm going to read a good, uh, a good bit of writing, and then uh, and we'll get into that. That'll kind of be towards the end. But um, here we go. On September 6th, 2006... Eugene Peterson, author of numerous books, including the Message Bible, my favorite pastor of all time, he wrote this to his son, Eric, on September 6, 2006. He said this, I am preparing an address right now, mulling it over is more like it, and I think I want to make a point of what seems to me is characteristic in the American church today, namely trivialization. Everything seems so trivialized. Fads spring up like mushrooms. Seeker church, emergent church, mega church, and on and on, and a lot more that I haven't heard of, I'm sure. Where are the pastors, he says, where are the pastors and congregations who just want to understand who and where they are and study how to be faithful to who and where they are? I, in fact, know quite a few of them, and so do you, he writes to his son, But there are so many others who show no evidence of being grounded. Because the world is in crisis, they think they have to fix the crisis. The consequence is that they fritter away their vocations and the gifts, needs, and opportunities that are right on their doorsteps. And I love this part right here. Have pastors ever been so bombarded by analysis of the culture and answers on how to package the gospel to fix it? Maybe if they would all go into the wilderness for three months, not read their emails, announce a moratorium on all conventions and conferences, take a deep, long, prayerful time of doing nothing, maybe some equilibrium might return. Maybe some equilibrium might return. In another letter to his son on May 18th, 2008, a couple of years later, he said this, I'm glad that you his son Eric, who is also a pastor. I'm glad that you have learned to be what Mumal, who is a, a pastor, Don Mumal, in the Presbyterian Church, names a lazy pastor. He, Mumal, which is a weird name, has probably never heard of the word contemplative. Eugene has been a close friend of mine for years. No, I never met him, and he left us in 2016, but through what Dr. Carol Bechtel always calls the written text, I've grown to gravitate toward Eugene's ideologies of what it means to be a pastor. He has always kept me grounded, been an entrance into the narrow way or what Robert Frost calls the road less traveled by. The Lord recently has used the likes of Eugene Peterson, along with Carl Bart, who I'm going to read from in a second, Brennan Manning, who I'm going to read from from a second, and C.S. Lewis, along with, of course, the Apostle Paul, to give language to what has been stirring in my bones for quite a while now. I call this, and if you're taking notes, this would, I guess, be the title today. I call this the holy 
imagination. Holy imagination. Coffee pot's done. In all of our experience with the gospel, long or short, we hear things like this. See if this sounds familiar. You hear things like this. And I'm not saying these are right or wrong. I'm just saying we hear these. Um, you need to have faith to be saved. Or we hear things like this. Die to self. Or we hear things like this. Just let go of the flesh. But what do all these mean? Like, What does it mean to have faith in God, in Christ, by the Holy Spirit. What does it really mean? What does it mean to die to live? Like These are things we talk about all the time. These are things I talk about all the time. But when you start to get into the nuance of how they work, like what does this really mean? I'm afraid in our quest for relevancy, we've dumbed down what cannot be comprehended in purely human terms. Now, this is where I'm going to need your brain for a second, okay? In our quest to be relevant, we've dumbed down what cannot be comprehended in just human terms. The gospel cannot be understood. It can only be received. In fact, in Proverbs 3, 5, we are called to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own what? Understanding. So, so dumbing of the gospel is an attempt to attain it by understanding. But we all profess, usually ignorantly, like we don't know what we're professing, but we all profess, if we follow Jesus, that we receive the gospel by faith. Therefore, if anyone accepts the gospel because he or she has figured it out, it will be like the seed that sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow that soon wilted under the hot sun having no roots and dies. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 5 and 6. American Christians, which is all of us, have become typically, I'm not saying you, but in general, dull, apathetic, and typically lifeless because... We don't know what to do with the gospel. We've made the gospel eschatological, which is a big scholarly word for the study of the end. In other words, we've made the gospel an issue of heaven and hell. What happens when you die? Right? We created people literally living to die. This earth is not mine. I'm, I'm just a visitor passing through. And what do we mean by that? What we mean is, hey, what we mean is all of the purpose of our life is really what happens when we die, right? This is the gospel. However, the true orthodox original gospel is just the opposite. It's a call to die in order to live, not to live so that we can die. The gospel is not an announcement of where you go when you die. It is permission to allow God's reality to intrude on yours. Now, in the spirit of entrepreneur, 
evangelical, business model, business growth metrics driven church, we've traded the art of molding quiet, boredom, and hiddenness into holy living for business, people-pleasing, chaos, and typically exaltation. And in the void, we strip the church of what I've come to see as her primary, primary role in the cosmos, which is what we're going to talk about in the title, Holy Imagination. Holy Imagination. Do you, I mean, maybe it's just me, but do we see this around us today? In fact, let's just use Father's Day. This is not a knock on people watching online. Um, but Father's Day is the least attended day, typically in the church, of, of the entire year, Father's Day. Father's Day and then um, statistically the week after Easter are the two lowest Sundays attended of any other Sunday that, out of the year. This is so ironic. We celebrate the resurrection and then the next week nobody shows up. You know. And then on Father's Day, um, because we have a lack, I think, we have a lack of spiritually inspired fathers in America it shows itself on Father's Day when, Dad, what would you like to do today? Well, sure not go to church. You know what I mean? And so what we have in our society today is we have a lot of people who profess to be Christians, who profess that they have faith in Jesus, but that don't know what it means to have faith in Jesus. If it's just belief, if faith is simply, and we'll get into this in a minute, but if faith in God is simply just to believe, we're no different than any other religion. All other religions believe in their gods, right? In fact, let me give you a just real practical example. Um, in our yard, we have a couple of places where there are uh, hills of dirt going along a track, and there's holes that are entrances into those hills. Now, I've never seen a mole ever in my yard, but I believe that moles have been in my yard, right? I believe that because all of the evidence proves that that's a high possibility, therefore I believe it. However, theoretically, that could be snakes, hope not. It could be squirrels, right? It could be any number of animals and I haven't been proven that those are moles. I simply believe it. So if you ask me what's going on in your yard, I would say I have moles in my yard because I believe it. But it's never been proven. I've just gathered all the facts and believe that. That's what we've made Christianity. And that's why so many people are so quick when they go through anything difficult are so quick to say, well, I just don't believe in God. Because we never really, if we're being honest, we never really had scriptural faith. We simply believe that that's a high possibility. And if that's the metric that we use to measure whether or not we are following Jesus, then those who are in Buddhism, certainly those who are in Islam, certainly those who are following all the other world religions are much more faithful than we are. So we have nothing that they, if that's the only thing that we're living by, we have nothing unique to us that other religions don't have. But I believe, and I'm going to show this in a second, that what the gospel is calling us to is 
what no other religion has, and it is what a lot of the Christian religion today is lacking, but it also is the very thing that will pull us into a life of not feeling like we need to go, 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 and do, 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 but instead sit back and allow ourselves to be immersed in the world that is encroaching on our world, which is the New Testament calls the kingdom of God. So this is, I'm going to open up with Romans, um, or not, I'm not going to open up with Romans. I'm going to read the opening of Romans, I should say. And, um, and then we're just going to talk about this for a second. Romans 1, verse 1. Really odd text to preach from. Most people won't preach out of these six verses, but I'm going to do it today. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God with the power according to, with power, excuse me, according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now hang on to those verses for a second. Let me give you some, some background on a couple of things. Number one, holy. Holy imagination. The word holy simply means other. It means set apart. And we know God is holy. In Isaiah 6, for example, the creatures that Isaiah has a vision of are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And what they're saying is God is other. God is other than. God is set apart. And because of this, God cannot be rationally understood. Okay? I'm going to need you is real I'm going to need you for a second, okay? Because God is holy and other than pure human rationale alone or understanding alone cannot understand God because God is other. You see this? Okay. If he could be rationally understood, he by definition would no longer be holy. And if God is holy, everything God does is likewise holy. And if God cannot rationally be understood, that is by human rationale alone, neither can what God does. In, in steps... Jesus, in verse 4, in steps, excuse me, I didn't mean to say that. In this, Jesus, in verse 4, is described like this. Listen to this. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is doing in the intro of Romans 1, in the intro of the letter to the Romans in Romans 1, what Paul is doing is he's laying out first two realities. Number one, Jesus is God by way of his holiness, attested to by the spirit of holiness, which is the Holy Spirit. 
Likewise, through the resurrection, he is man. And he says it like this. He descended from David according to the flesh. Okay? Really huge. So, Jesus is other than, yet Jesus is exactly like who we are. Let me read this real quick from Karl Barth, favorite theologian. This is what he says about this in his um, commentary on the epistle to the Romans. If you want some meat, pick this up. Karl Barth, he says this. The gospel requires faith. Only for those who believe is it the power of God unto salvation. It can therefore be neither directly communicated nor directly apprehended. Christ has been appointed to be the Son of God according to the Spirit. Now, Spirit, and he's quoting uh, another theologian here, but he says this, Spirit is the denial of direct immediacy. Now, I'm going to explain this, so if you don't understand it, I'll, I'll explain it in a second. If Christ be very God, he must be unknown, for to be known directly is the characteristic mark of an idol. So he's laying out his holiness here. So new, so unheard of, so unexpected in this world is the power of God unto salvation that it can appear among us, be received and understood by us, only as a contradiction. The gospel does not expound or recommend itself. It does not negotiate or plead, threaten, or make promises. It withdraws itself always when it is not listened to for its own sake. Faith directs itself towards the things that are invisible. Indeed, only when which that which is believed on is hidden can it provide an opportunity for faith. And moreover, those things are most deeply hidden which most clearly contradict the obvious experience of the senses. And then he quotes Luther here, and I'm going to stop because it's a lot. Martin Luther, he quotes him here. Therefore, when God makes alive, he kills. When he justifies, he imposes guilt. When he leads us to heaven... He thrust us down into hell. That's what Luther says. The gospel of salvation can only be believed, can only be believed in, it is a matter for faith alone. It demands choice. This is its seriousness. To him that is not sufficiently mature to accept a contradiction and rest in it, it becomes a scandal. Last couple of places. To him... To him, that is unable to escape the necessity of contradiction. It becomes a matter of faith. And then he says this. Faith is all in the presence of the divine incognito. I love that. Faith is all in the, divine pres in the presence of the divine incognito. It is for the love of God that it is aware of the qualitative distinction between God and man, God and the world. It is the affirmation of resurrection as the turning point of the world. Now, I'm going to stop there. I could keep going because it's amazing. What, what Bart is saying here, and even quoting in Luther, when Luther talks about the contradiction that happens within faith, he says, according to the senses, which is human understanding, that when God moves, it contradicts what makes sense 
to us apart from God. So in other words, for us to be made alive, we first have to go through a spiritual death. That's a contradiction. Because for you and me, if we're just approaching it through human terms alone, it makes sense that for us to come alive, we simply need to be more alive. But the gospel is an invitation to pass through death, and in passing through death, we are made alive. In order for us to make our way to heaven, which is their way of explaining the kingdom of God, we first have to go through hell. Not literally, but spiritually, we first have to go through the place of utter death in order to experience the place of utter life. Okay? Here's another one. For us to live out how to follow Jesus, we first must face the fact that following Jesus is probably going to contradict the way of life that we lived apart from following Jesus. And that contradiction, when it enters into our story, that's the place where faith comes in. It's not, I believe, it is, I choose another way. It's a trust in a way that does not make sense on a pure sensory level. It doesn't make sense, for, I mean, just a real practical example. It doesn't make sense for me to leave a place of great ministry influence to become a pastor of a place that is much, much, much smaller numerically. Just from a human sensory, to, from understanding. But it does make sense in faith to follow a path that Jesus laid before me, even when it contradicts the path that I thought I would be walking down. Does that make sense? Okay. So holy means other. It means other. It means set apart. Jesus steps in as the holy, incomprehensible God looking like us. This is, I mean, this is the incarnation. We don't talk about the, we do, but the church, we don't talk about the incarnation enough. The holy, incomprehensible God comes looking and sounding and walking and talking like us in the person of Jesus. Jesus becomes both human rationale and the holy other than God in one body. He, therefore, through the power of the resurrection, redeems what we were always meant to be. Not God, but reflections of God. However, we don't step back into this prehistoric form via understanding because understanding has at its root autonomy, which at its root revels in pride. Let me, I'm going to slow down, okay? This was late at night when I wrote this, so this is deep, okay? We don't get back into our prehistoric identity, our original form. We don't get there by way of simply understanding things. Because understanding has at its roots autonomy. In other words, if I understand this, I don't need you. Right? 
If I understand how my, you know, for example, how my calling is going to play out the rest of my life, I don't really need God because I got it. I understand it. So understanding has at its root autonomy, and autonomy at its root revels in pride, right? Because really, for me to want to understand fully is for me to want to be able to take control for me to take control is really what the definition of pride is. It's me. You know what I'm saying? No, we make our way back to originality via faith because faith has at its roots dependency and dependency at its roots revels in humility. Faith at its core, is based on dependency. I can't see, therefore I'm dependent on you to lead me. And a step below that really is humility. I don't need to understand because as long as you are leading me, that's enough for me to follow. Do you see the pattern here? To live, therefore, the only way to live out faith in what we do not understand, which is God's ways, is, I believe, the imagination. Imagination is something that along with orthodox gospel, like how many of you in the room, for example, um, know anything about, let me see, let me get a good example, the church calendar. We don't know anything about the church calendar. What time of year is it on the church calendar? What, whereas these Orthodox, I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about Orthodox as in straight, way, um, original. Follow this pattern of honoring different moments in history where God has broken in and moved for his people on an annual basis. It's a continual honoring of what the Lord has done and what he's doing over and over and over. We've never heard of it because it's not relevant. People don't want to hear that. You know what I mean? People want a message on how to be rich or how, what to do with your money or, or you know, how to be happy or whatever. People don't want a message on how we should honor uh, you know, St. Patrick. Most of y'all didn't even know he was a real saint. You know what I'm saying? We thought that was the day everybody goes and drinks too much. You know what I'm saying? We just did not, you know. Um, Saint Nick, you didn't know that's a real saint. You know, it's not just Santa Claus. But this is, this is all a part of the, the relevancy thing. And lumped into this is a loss of imagination. When you were kids, my daughter, who's six, she does this all the time. When we're kids, we see the world through our imagination. And as we get older, we experience disappointment. As we get older, we're encouraged to grow up, which you should in some ways. But as, as we get older, we transition from a place of wonder by way of our imagination to a place of static, understanding, boredom, and busyness. And really, what we replace imagination with is busyness. It's really what we do. Because in order for you to have the time to imagine something, you need to be bored. You know? 
And so because we don't like to be bored, hello, social media, because we don't like to be bored, we fill our lives with constant noise and busyness and chaos, and we lose the ability to imagine. Now, this is why I, one of the reasons why I believe so many people are leaving the faith or leaving the church is because in order to see the kingdom of God who is holy other than You've got to be able to continually come back to the place where you can see a world that is other than what you naturally perceive, perceive by your senses. And the only way you do that is by way of your imagination. Uh, I, this is really called contemplative, okay? But because most people don't know what contemplative means, I'm using the, the word imagination. Um. According to Oxford Languages, imagination is defined as this, the faculty of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. It is the ability of the mind to be creative or to create. It comes from the Latin word imago or image or picture. And in Ephesians 3.20, Paul assumes the Christian imagination. He says that God is able to do immeasurably more. Famous verse that we all talk about. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ever could ask or imagine. And he's assuming the working of the Christian imagination when he says that. He doesn't even stop to explain or encourage, you should be moving in this. He assumes that this is a reality that they're already working in. So he's encouraging that God is going to do more than that which they're even picturing in the, on the heart and on the mind and on the spirit and on the emotional level that God is doing by way of his kingdom invading the current way of life. This is literally, I'm going to just state it again. This is what Bart says, quoting Martin Luther. Faith directs itself towards things that are invisible. Faith directs itself towards things that are invisible. Indeed, only when that which is believed on is hidden can it provide an opportunity for faith. And moreover, those things are most deeply hidden, which most clearly contradict the obvious experience of the senses. The choice of the gospel is to have faith. Yes, absolutely. But that faith is a choice to accept a new reality, a new rationale, one not attained by the senses or by understanding, one attained by an awareness of the goodness and holiness of God that if we'll let ourselves get bored enough with enough silence, we might start to see in ourselves through imagining a new way what the New Testament writers and Jesus himself calls the kingdom of God. We need to replace the demands of, I don't understand what God is doing. How many of us have said that? I just don't understand what God is doing. We have to replace that demand with a prayer 
to trust God knows what he is doing, and that's all that really matters. We can begin to imagine what he is doing through us when we lay down the demand to understand for ourselves. That doesn't mean, because people sometimes take everything I say to the extreme, that doesn't mean that God's going to leave you in a place of dark where you never understand anything that God's ever doing. It means that understanding itself is being redefined by God's understanding. Do you see this? So when I say, if for us to move in faith is for us to lay down our own understanding, it's because we're picking up a better understanding. Do you see this? So I don't need to know how this works out on my own. I just need to know that it works out 100% of the time in the end because he's working all things together for my good. That's a new understanding, okay? If I've attained God's understanding, then I understand that there is no possibility of failure in him. If I'm still living by my own understanding, I'm always living with the thought in the back of my head that I might fail. Do you see this? So it is a inferior understanding being traded for a superior understanding. That trade-off is faith. That transition is what we are called to when we accept the gospel. To have faith in God, therefore to be saved. Because what does save mean? Save means wholeness. It's literally what the word means. Whole. It means, it, well, it has a plethora of meanings. It could mean physically uh, healed. It means to be preserved. It means to make well. It means to save. It has all these different meanings within the Greek word sozo, most often translated saved in the New Testament. I think the most accurate way for us to see this is not saved because we have all these preconceived ideas with the word saved, even though that's, that's included in it. The most accurate understanding of what it means for you to be sozoed is for you to be whole. Now, whole. For us to have faith in order to be made whole is for us to inherit God's way so that we can begin to live in the reality of who we are, which contradicts the reality of who we were, which is currently transitioning into who we are. Now that makes that... We are redeemed through the cross, and yet we are awaiting redemption. Right? Jesus has conquered it all, and yet we are awaiting the day that Jesus finally conquers it all. This is what theologians call the already not yet. It is Jesus has established a new way, a new reality, handed it over to those who have always been in charge of the creation, which is us, Adam and Eve, hands it over to us. And now our call is to bring the reality of the kingdom of God into the creation until the creation becomes the reality that you and I already have hold of. Question mark. 
But see, this is, this is the gospel that, that we should have always been told. And it's much more than simply believe. This is, you have been given a new way. This is why we are encouraged to have renewed minds, Paul talks about. He says this, Paul also says this, he says, who can understand God's thoughts except God's own spirit? Who can understand your thoughts except your own spirit? But we've been given the mind of Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, is the only person who knows what God is thinking is God. The only person that knows what you're thinking is you. However, in the gospel, something extraordinary has happened. We've been given God's own mind. Okay? What he does not say is God transformed our minds he says God has traded our broken ideas of things for God's own whole idea of things, and that is sozo, wholeness. Let me read this. In Abba's Child, the book, this page 134, Brennan Manning says this, the author. He says, The engaged mind illuminated by truth awakens awareness. The engaged heart affected by love awakens passion. May I say once more, the essential energy of the soul is not an ecstatic trance, a high emotion or a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a sanguine stance toward life. I had a bunch of scribble there that I didn't understand what the word was, so I had to pause for a minute. It is a fierce longing for God an unyielding resolve to live in and out of the truth of our belovedness. The love of God, not our love for him, but his love for us impels us. The integration of mind and heart shapes a unified personality living in a state of passionate awareness. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the evidence of things what? Not seen. Faith is is the evidence of things not seen. Christian faith is not a belief that there is a God out there. Christian faith is the embrace of a new yet very old way. And that's the difference. Faith is not, well, I believe there's a God out there. That's, that's, you know what that's called? Agnostic. Agnostics believe there's some God out there. Who, you know what I'm saying? I don't say who cares, but kind of who cares? We're not, we're not invited to that. We're not invited to lift our hands and repeat a prayer saying, I believe in God. We're invited to literally lay down our lives to find our lives. Right? And this goes in all aspects. This is why Jesus also said things like this, to store up treasure in heaven where it cannot decay. What is he saying? He's saying, with your treasure, if you place your treasure in faith in God, and the way that you do that is by storing it up in heaven, and the vehicle that God has used for you to store up treasure in heaven is his church, his bride. If you do that, what you're announcing to even your resources is that you're not leaning on your own understanding and control of what happens with your life financially. You're leaning on your understanding and giving up control in faith of what happens with your life 
through the Lord. Which is why he says in Malachi that when you do that, he throws open the floodgates of heaven and pours out what you don't have room to receive. The reason you don't have room to receive it is because you were completely unaware of the possibility that that resource could ever be yours. Because in control, all we were trying to do was grow the little bit that we had to a place where we might be sustained, right? In faith, we give up control, and in giving up control and being given the mind of God, we begin to see resources the way that God sees resources, which is unlimited, which is why then he begins to release unlimited resource to those who have the faith to see things how God sees things, right? That's just funny. When it comes to prayer, prayer up until the modern age has been primarily silence. It's only up until the past two, three hundred years that prayer has become something where we get in our room and all of a sudden we start going through our mind about all these different things that we, God, I thank you for another day. I thank you that you're going to do this. Lord, I pray for my my brother, I pray for this person, I pray for this person. And then you get like two minutes in and you start feeling bad because you're only two minutes in and you ran out of stuff to say. So then you start just saying, hallelujah, thank you, God, thank you, Lord, thank you, God, thank you, Lord, thank you, God. We, we grew up in this, in the Pentecostal church. That's all we ever did. You go to a prayer service, this is all you hear. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And no one is in a corner with their head down, just being quiet. Because we don't know how to do that. Like, Lord, 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 Lord. In fact, if I do this right now, um, and it would be totally orthodox, but it would be so weird to us, which might have proved my point. But if I said for the next 15 minutes, we're just going to be quiet. Right? A thousand years ago, they'd say 15 minutes. That's it. 15 minutes, you know? For us, we'd get 15 seconds in and y'all start squirming. We start hearing people do this. <coughs> right? We would. Somebody have to go to the bathroom suddenly. Somebody need coffee, you know? I mean, this is just what we do because we've, we've lost what the gospel is calling us to, which is faith. Not belief. Belief is certainly included. You got to believe in what you follow, Okay? So certainly that's included, but it's a lot more than faith. It's receiving a new way. And if you begin to receive a new way, suddenly you no longer have an appetite for the inferior way that you've lived in all your life. We can get to this place of faith and living it out through that holy imagination. Maybe, maybe that is the essence of what it means to be prophetic. Maybe prophecy, maybe, was intended rather than speaking into something by way of present humanistic understanding, what if the prophetic was actually intended to draw us to a place of seeing things God's way? We see, you know, and I, I can only use our experience growing up, the prophetic as God breaking in to explain what's happening. 
But what if the prophetic was actually there to call us to a place of, rather than understanding, to faith? I think there's a lot more prophetic people in the church than even they know whether or not they're prophetic. I think there's so many more, because there's a lot of people that will say things like this. I don't understand what the Lord's doing, but I trust him. I'll take that prophet right there. You know what I mean? I don't know what the Lord's doing, but I'm just following. And it's not blind. You're not following blind. You're following with purpose. You're following with, I trust that he knows what he is doing. Therefore, I don't need to understand. So my daughter is six. Matt, you can hop up here. My daughter's six. She doesn't explain a lot, uh, doesn't understand a lot of things that me and Jordan do. Okay? So for example, uh, two weeks ago, it was Jordan's birthday, um, June 9th. I guess that was two weeks ago, right? Yeah, about two weeks ago. A uh, week and a half ago. Um, it was Jordan's birthday. So we had birthday cake multiple times that week. But on top of that, we went back to Myrtle Beach, where she's from, and we went to a water park there. And so Jordan had uh, Italian ice. I mean, not Jordan. Veda had Italian ice. And then on top of that, we ate. Jordan's mom always buys this, you know, the cinnamon bread that's got the swirls in it. You know what I'm talking about? It's amazing stuff. Anyway. She always buys that for Veda and blesses us with that. So, um, so Veda had that for breakfast. So it's just sugar and sugar and sugar and sugar. And we don't eat sugar. Like, we just don't. Um, well, I shouldn't say we. I eat sugar. Um, I've cut it out a lot lately. But, Lord, in the past, that's basically all I ate was sugar. Um, but Veda eats very, very, very little sugar, okay? Now, I think it was on... Um, Saturday, so the day after Jordan's birthday, she had had cake multiple days in a row, multiple pieces, ice cream, the whole nine yards, right? That morning she wakes up and she says, can I have a piece of cake for breakfast? Right? And we say, of course, absolutely not, you know? And she's mad and she's, you know, she's, I just don't, I don't, under, I've, I had cake yesterday, why can't I have it today? And, you know, and just blah, 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 blah. And it finally got to the point where we had to say, as all parents do, you're just gonna have to trust us. You know what I mean? You're just gonna have to trust that we know what's best for you because we know, of course, that's what's best for her, right? Same thing, she, her best friend lives across the street from us, amazing people. However, our street's very busy. And so whenever they go play, every time, inevitably, whether they're coming to our house or we're going to their house, the kids start sprinting across the street because that makes sense to them, right? We're going over there. And every time, every single time, we're like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. You know? And they get mad. Like, what do you mean? Like, I look, there's no car coming. I'm like, I literally just watched you and you literally did not look, you know? Um, but, I, and every time, like, why can't I just, you know, you're just gonna have, you're just gonna have to trust us. You know, and she has no idea, no idea that by us with the cake thing, by us making a decision to do something that not only doesn't make sense to her, that goes against what she believes is right. That we're actually adding years probably to her life. You know, or she has no idea that by us telling her she can't just sprint blindly across the street even though it makes her mad, even though, again, she believes that's the right thing to do, 
It makes no sense to her why we are so cautious with the street. But you know what it's doing? Saving her life. Because she's six. We have, me and Jordan, we have an understanding that she just simply does not have. Just like God has an understanding that you and I simply on our own do not have. Therefore, the choice is I'm either going to do whatever I feel like is right or I'm going to trust that my dad knows exactly what he's doing even when it goes against what I think is even right. And I'm going to believe that he's got my best interest at heart and I'm going to believe that he is adding years spiritually, physically, whatever you want to say. He's adding years to my existence and my purpose and my calling and my view of him and my intimacy with him by me simply saying, I trust you. I don't have to understand it, but you understand it. And that's all that matters to me. And a lot of you, and I'm, next week, I'm, I, had, this was, I had a whole sermon plan and I'll hit it next week on how to deal with pain and suffering. Okay, um, bless you. That, was, that sounded painful. Um, perfect. And so we'll get to that next week. But, but leading, leading into this, I think there is a call for us um, because a lot of this you might have to go back and listen to again. That's fine. I, I had a conversation with the Lord uh, a few days ago and there's a lot of times I have to make a decision. Either I'm gonna dumb things down so that you can understand it. Not saying, you know, like not, that's, that came off bad. Um, not, not, none of you guys are in, you know, master's degree program studying Karl Barth, 500 pages of the Romans. You see what I'm saying? So, you know what I mean? All of you have the ability to comprehend it. Just you're not spending the time that I'm spending reading commentaries that you probably wouldn't want to read anyway. So um, forgive me for saying that. Every one of you are smart. Um, but I, keep, I always go back and forth. Am I going to dumb down the gospel? Or am I going to elevate the gospel to a place that requires us to lay down what we understand and pick up a new understanding? And that's what I make the choice to do today. It, it, you might have to go back and listen to this 12 times for you to understand what I said you know, 30 minutes ago, okay? But I'm okay with that because what it's doing on the inside of you and really what it's doing on the inside of me is it is inaugurating a new way, a new way of thinking. And many of you are going through things in life, small or big, that you don't understand, that you've been mad at God about, that you've been mad because God hasn't done what you wanted in the timing that you wanted, because God hasn't answered your prayers, because God hasn't come through seemingly, because God hasn't provided seemingly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd have kids by now. I thought I'd be rich by now. That's what we're all saying, right? I thought I'd be a billionaire by now. Like I said, who? Um, I thought I'd be further than, I thought I'd have the career I wanted by now. I thought I'd be done with school by now. I thought I'd have the job I wanted by now. I thought I would have friends that I wanted by now. I thought I'd be living in the place that I thought I wanted to live by now, et cetera. I mean, all oh, you can go down the list, right? I, and all of it, I thought I would be blank. That's the problem. Not that dreaming is bad, not that having goals are bad, None of that is bad as long as all of those are subject to change based on faith. So 
I can plan out the next five years, but there's going to be a big old star in parentheses beside those plans that says, if God changes, scratch them all out. I mean, I, you, you, la, this time last year, you better believe I had not on my radar in any way, shape, or form that we'd be meeting in this space right here. In fact, if I'm just going to be blatantly honest with you, we spent the entire year last year praying that God would give us a permanent building. Y'all remember this, right? And here we are halfway through a year later, and we're not in a permanent building. I kind of like this. I like this space. You know what I'm saying? I'd personally meet here forever. But um, Evan's like, oh, my Lord, please because he, he helped us set up for the first time this morning. It gets better. But so I, so I could sit back and I could say, God, you didn't answer my prayer. Or I could lean not on my own understanding and say, God is answering a prayer that I didn't even know to pray. Like God is bringing us into a place that we could not get to had God said yes to that inferior prayer. Not that our prayers are wasted, not that we shouldn't pray, but all of our lives should be subject to change and warp and move and even sometimes turn around and go backwards based on what the Lord is doing in our lives. And in that void, it doesn't create a vacuum of doubt. In the void, it creates an opportunity for just like the tabernacle, just like the temple, when space is created, God always fills it. So here's what I wanna encourage you. Here's what I wanna encourage you this week. I wanna encourage you, and we're not gonna do this now. I want, this is something you need to do on your own. But I wanna encourage you to go home, and at some point this week, I want you to sit, I want you to turn, throw this, I don't throw it somewhere in another room, okay? And I want you to get with God. I don't want you to read your Bible. I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to listen to music. None of that stuff. Just get all of it away and sit and take 15, 20, 30, however long minutes and just be quiet. And just hear. You might not hear a word. That's not, that's, the purpose is not an exchange. The purpose is for you to come into a realization of a new world, of a new reality of the kingdom of God. Contemplative simply means, and I wanna, I'm skip this part, but contemplative simply means prayer at the thought level. Contemplative prayer means prayer at the thought level. It's literally being quiet. We are a church pointing to a new way. Even for me, I'm a different kind of pastor. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm just not. I've tried. I'm not. But I'm not here to be the entrepreneur church leader. I'm here to lead you to a space that is free and that is holy and that is full of faith and imagination for you to see the kingdom of God. I recently heard somebody say this, all stress has to do with living in the future. And I responded with this, 
we are going to master the possibilities of the present moment. If all stress, which I believe that is absolutely accurate, if all stress is a result of living in the future, what we're gonna do as a church and what we're gonna do as individuals who are following Jesus is we're gonna learn to be masters of all the possibilities of the present moment. Take note, Jesus, take no thought of tomorrow. Take no thought of tomorrow, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. Take note. What if we, see, we hear the teachings of Jesus. We hear the teachings of Jesus and they just become like, you know, noise, white noise. You know, the Beatitudes. We don't even think about them anymore. That was Bible school, right? That was VBS, the Beatitudes. We, re, we need to sit back and think about what Jesus said. Take no thought for tomorrow. What if this week you just were obedient to that one command from Jesus? This week, what if you said, instead of trying to be perfect, I'm just gonna take this one command from Jesus and I'm gonna live it out this week. Take no thought for tomorrow. Easy, right? I bet if we did that this week, I bet you would start to feel stress in pounds begin to just fall off. So you stop, where, how are we gonna do this? 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 And instead you begin to focus on the possibility of what's happening now. So let me pray, let me pray and then we'll be out. Lord, I thank you for the dads that we get to be um, just encouraged by in this room, some of those that aren't in the room today, but they are a part of this family. God, I thank you that you are raising up fathers, even those in the room that don't have kids yet. But you're raising up fathers of a new way, and it's the kingdom way, the kingdom of God. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we get to witness that. Lord, I thank you that you are a father that is so much greater than the best we could ever come up with. I thank you, Lord. I thank you that in the moments when I needed a father that even my own earthly dad couldn't be in those moments, you stepped in and showed me things and ways and possibilities that I never even dreamed and they were all unlocked by faith. And I pray right now by this command to increase our faith and increase our awareness of a new way, of a new reality, that is a, it's a fruit of a call for us as a church to take one more step deeper one more step into the realization of how loved and cherished and strong and righteous and full of hope that we really are. So God, I honor you today with this and the way we're gonna honor the word that you're giving us in this season, the way we're gonna honor it is by saying yes to it. And whatever needs to be laid down in order for us to take up lives of faith, we're gonna lay it down. We're gonna seek the kingdom of God and we're gonna take no thought for the things that we can't even control anyway. Honor you, Lord. We love you in your name, amen.